Welcome to the Lion's Den, brought to you by the Bluebird. On this week's episode, we speak to Alistair Brownlee, a two-time Olympic gold medal winner of the triathlon and formerly of Girton College. So as part of our recent series where we interview Cambridge students past and present who compete on the world stage, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined today by Alistair Brownlee, a Team GB triathlete. Alistair has won countless titles, too many for me to list here, but the two the two at the top that stand out are the two Olympic gold medals um, at London 2012 and Rio 2016. And of course, Alistair is the older brother of the Brownlee duo alongside his younger brother, Johnny. They have dominated the triathlon scene over the last decade or so. 14 GB. Thank you very much for coming on to talk to us today, Alistair. How are you doing? Thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm okay at the moment. I'm at home uh, in Leeds and yeah, just training away normally. Um, it's a Friday today. Friday is normally kind of my easy day away from training. So it's um, having uh, having time to get the feet up and um, yeah, talk to people like you, I guess. Now, this might be my ignorance at play here but normally and i was saying this to you in the in the build-up to the interview normally when there are high-profile Cambridge alumni such as yourself who have gone on to achieve so much on the world stage people are very much aware it at least people in Cambridge circles are very much aware of the Cambridge background I personally had absolutely no idea that you had a Cambridge connection um, and I was very surprised that when I looked up there's a there's a website on the Hawks page where you can have a look at the list of the Olympians that have come to Cambridge and I was shocked to see your name there because normally somebody of your stature if, um, I, in my head at least it would be much more well known that you would come here um, why don't you tell us a little bit for those of us who don't know like myself until recently why don't you tell us what that connection is yeah well I think it's probably not better known because I wasn't there very long to be honest <laughs> so maybe maybe rightly so um, so yeah I as a 18 year old um, I was kind of I guess doing my normal academics and, and school work, um, studying quite hard, um, and got in uh, to Cambridge to study medicine. Um, come from a, a family of uh, doctors, you know, really enjoyed science at school, and so it's it kind of the natural thing to do. Um, at the same time, you know, I've been doing triathlon since I was eight years old and an endurance sport, and at the same time, I was, um, I think a massive weeks before or something, I'd, I'd won the world junior triathlon championships um, and, and my sport was, was going well. And um, really deep down, I always wanted to be a professional athlete going back as, as far as I can remember. You know, I remember being in um, careers lessons at school saying, yeah, I want to be a professional triathlete. And the, the teacher saying, is that even a thing? And I was like, mm, I'm not sure myself, to be honest. So um, I wanted to be a professional athlete. I didn't know if I was going to be good enough. Didn't know if it was economically feasible uh, to, to be blunt um anyway i won the world junior championship and um got a few offers basically of kind of sponsorship and support and i'm like wow you know i can kind of follow my dream um and this happened literally weeks i think maybe two weeks before i was supposed to be um going to start uh, i was studying at girton so before i was going to Girton to start studying and um yeah obviously it was pretty pretty tough uh i, I um sat down and had a, a good chat with my dad about it and um you know he was fantastic he said um you know you've got two amazing opportunities um you know don't discount one being like you know your academics going to cambridge just for the sake of the other um you don't know that that might be for you if you know without trying it um so 
fantastic advice and yeah so I, I went to Cambridge and, and started studying um I think um obviously I thought and definitely my parents thought that uh, once I was there <laughs> I'd be there and, I, and I'd stay there and um it, it what it really did is it, it made it really clear to me that I wanted to really focus on my sport. That, that was my kind of passion in life. Um, really, you know, triathlon training um, is pretty long hours, like a average kind of 30 hours of training a week. Trying to combine that with a medical degree. I think everyone who's trying to study medicine will understand their two uh, kind of incompatible things. And um, so, yeah, basically decided to, um, focus on on my sport and, and dropped out and moved home to Leeds um yeah I, I think um it was fantastic though it was kind of to go as and I'm the kind of person who hates not finishing and not doing well at anything so in, in lots of ways I'm kind of a bit embarrassed about you know not finishing a degree but um it was really it was a, it was the right thing to do um and because going down the sporting route I always knew that I was doing sport because it is absolutely what I wanted to do and it was my passion um, and I could have done something else which is obviously a fantastic option of, of studying medicine at Cambridge and as cliche as it sounds you know that gave me kind of a lot of strength and conviction in that decision and, and made me really commit to, to my, my triathlon um, and yeah thankfully um, yeah I guess the rest is history and, and it worked out well. <laughs> it definitely did um, I don't know of all the degrees you could have picked as well, uh, just in terms of workload and also the length of time. And I think I think it's six years is the, is the Cambridge. Yeah, um, I did actually briefly think about swapping degrees to another subject, and um, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Looking back, actually, maybe I maybe that would have been a really good thing to do um, uh, to something that was less time heavy. But then the other, you know, I think the the training situation, although it's pretty good, I actually enjoy swimming with a local swimming club and. Uh, running with the um, Cambridge Uni cross country and stuff, um, you know, I, I've had. I'm so lucky with the setup, the training setup I've got, basically at home in Leeds or the setup that I had at the time, um, and I think that was a major part of, um, yeah, I guess what made me successful. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's the other thing actually. You know, where you are having the right coaches and support around you and stuff is, is important as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, about um, how you got involved in Cambridge sports. Obviously, you mentioned a local club, a swimming club there, and then the, the Cambridge Cross Country. Um, if my maths is correct, the Beijing Olympics would have come in the middle, not on the middle of your time at Cambridge had you stayed, and then London 2012 would have been just after. Um, so obviously, you know, London especially being when you won the home home gold, it sounds like things like that might not have happened if you had if you had stuck at the the medicine degree is that fair enough <laughs> well yeah you you don't know do you um but yeah I I, I often I, I think the other way to put it is you know I often think and talk to people maybe I should have um swapped and studied uh, a different degree and you know finished a degree maybe um but then I think actually you don't know the ramifications of those decisions at the time of what not you know what could have happened to your sporting career and I guess um yeah I'm really glad I kind of focused and did, and did my my sport properly I guess um and at the time I always um I mean we're going back a long time now so I think basically this happened in early 2007 like you said it went to Olympics in 2008 at the time I always thought yeah I'll probably go back to university at some point I can go back in my late 20s or early 30s um and I'm now 32 and it doesn't look 
too likely, uh, but who knows? <laughs> it's, it's interesting you say that because um, the Cambridge Union ran a panel recently with uh, three former professional athletes who did that route, who they went down the professional path and then went back and went back to get some sort of qualification. And it seems to be, there are exceptions, of course, but that seems to be the pathway is that if you're going to do like the, the high level sport and then come back into academia, at least at Cambridge, it seems to be in most cases, people come back. I mean, one of those, one of the, one of them was a fellow Olympian, um, James Cracknell, who obviously had his plenty of success um in in the olympics and then decided to come back and do the boat race so um maybe there is with that in mind is there any any scope for you to try and go back and do a a medicine degree or is that is that dream gone uh yeah never say never um i think that the problem is with medicine is like you said to start with um you know it's a long time to do the studying and then you're you're not even halfway there are you at that point you're doing training etc etc um so, yeah, and to be honest with you, I think um, my interests have changed. Um, you know, one of the, well, not, I've got, got loads of time, but, um, yeah, as a professional athlete, I've kind of got time to read and study and, and do things on my own time and work out what my interests are. And um, I think they're probably very different to what they were than when I was an 18-year-old. So I think if I was going to study something, and I'm not saying I am, if I was going to, um, it'd probably be something different. <laughs> You mentioned something different there. I'm curious. You said um, you also said you were thinking about maybe changing degrees. I'm curious what were what were the what were the options that were going through your head at the time? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I didn't look into it very. Uh, I remember basically, yeah, as a, an 18 year old thinking, right, what are the what are going to be the things that are going to be the easiest thing for me to do alongside my sport? And um, yeah, having a think about archaeology and anthropology and land economy and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But um yeah I, I guess if you were to ask me what my interests are now I um yeah actually land economy that kind of thing in lots of ways um yeah you know I, I do some kind of bits and pieces in in property and wider things so that'd be interesting but um maybe actually more down the economics and maths route um that's actually what I really enjoyed at school and I think um it, it's really hard isn't it to uh, work out almost what you want to do with the rest of your life at 18 which you kind of are doing with medicine um and i think a lot of people could associate you know if you're good at science at school um and you almost get the route is to go <laughs> to study medicine sometimes and um yeah i think if i was to do it again i would probably be more down the maths physics kind of natural science and kind of or economics kind of route to be honest but it sounds like that influence there came from your family but equally it sounds like there was no pressure on you when you were questioning the decision to, to go down to yeah well that. my my family were fantastic um yeah you know my mum and dad are doctors and kind of very academic and so you know that that's the to have your son um go and study that's they were thinking yep yeah, you know <laughs> I guess box tick that's perfect that's just what we want for him um and yeah I mean my dad's advice was amazing and, and when I, I was then a few months further down the line um from what I was saying earlier and I wasn't sure what's, you know, it wasn't, uh, I woke up one morning and think I definitely want to go and do sport, go to the Olympics and drop out of university. It doesn't work quite that simply, obviously. Um, and my dad did say to me, we had a conversation, he said, yeah, you've, you've got to follow your dreams. And basically, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, just make sure you do it as well as you can to the best of your ability. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they were really supportive, but at the same time, you know, I think as anyone could imagine, um, what your parents would 
think and say to you if you were thinking about dropping out of university and yeah I guess completely understand that as well but like you said it's um it turned out to be the right decision two gold medals um in consecutive olympics gunning for a third this summer where are you in the lead up to tokyo in terms of qualification yeah yeah so um this is very different to my other olympic kind of campaigns that i've been on before i um haven't qualified yet um and mostly because i was focusing on um focusing hard on the long distance Ironman racing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've got to qualify and that's become kind of more and more difficult as races have been canceled on and off, obviously over the ne- the last year now and um, actually in the next few months. So basically I've got to race well in the early world series races, um, which are, are gonna be in May, although one's just got canceled. There's supposed to be one in China in early May that's got cancelled and then there's going to be one in Japan in, in mid-May. So that's got to be basically got to be a real focus for me to go there and, and perform well. And then going into it, uh, I'm right in saying your, your younger brother, he's qualified, hasn't he? I think yeah, it was, I saw, I saw an article before about selection that he he's been selected. And the only reason you weren't was because of the, the different focus and the qualifying. Um, I suppose I can't, I can't not ask you about him. Uh, obviously the, the pair of you, being so close in age and obviously having competed so much together, it seems as if from the outside looking in, your careers are just inextricably linked. You know, when you've won gold, he's won silver or et cetera. And obviously there is that incredibly famous race in Cozumel um, where, you know, he had the muscle failure and you picked him up and threw him over the line. The fact that it seems at least, and correct me if you think this is unfair, that the, the two of you, you know, the names are obviously these names are synonymous of the same name but the two of you are associated with each other so much and it's hard to look at one without the other sometimes. Does that maybe frustrate you a little bit or are you two so close that it's just fantastic that the pair of you have managed to have this success and managed to go down this path together? Yeah, I I think there's lots of ways actually to answer that question. I think um, we, you know, the kind of pragmatic approach is that, you know, I think you're right. Our careers have been linked and we probably wouldn't have achieved what we, each of us have without the other one to some extent um whether that's just the little things about motivation uh, to train and go hard every day um, and we still do that you know like yesterday we were out riding basically trying to kill each other for an hour um and you know we were yesterday morning we were swimming doing the same thing um whether that's been the more kind of functional things of you know being quite young and yeah so you know then when i was really focusing on sport 18 19 traveling a lot a lot of time away from home, a lot of time in hotels, being able to go through that with your brother. I think being really important, coping with like the, the pressures and stuff of um, expectation, especially around the Olympics and, and in London, you know, going through that together, I think really, you know, really, really important. So I think pragmatically, we've kind of both got to give a tip of our hat to that and we won't be telling the truth um, if we weren't. Do I find it frustrating? Uh, no, I, I don't think I do, although probably at times maybe I did, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe at some point in my mind, I think I'm Olympic champion. I only get talked about as well as a brother, but actually, um, you know, it's been phenomenal to sometimes to take that step back. And um, at two Olympic Games, we've stood on a start line next to each other, um, you know, kind of making a a joke saying, kind of don't F this up, uh, get on with it, you know. And then at the end of it, we've stood on a podium um next to each other uh, at the end of a race at, at the olympic games and um yeah that I, th- I think is really special um and 
incredibly rare you know in in all the countries and all the world in all the olympics not many people have got to experience that so uh, i think having that kind of that approach to take a step back and look at it that way i'm i'm really proud of that of course and the fact that you've both been so so successful um helps that Um, like you said you stood on olympic podiums together um obviously the plan is to do something similar this summer uh johnny's always been the I don't, I don't want to say the, the second place out of the two of you, but I mean, you're the one who's got two gold yeah. medals, two gold it's medals. Fine. You, can, you can say that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd say that. Um, but in terms of like the form and obviously you've been focusing on triathlon more, not triathlon, sorry, you've been focusing more on Ironman um, recently, like you said, so hence Johnny's qualified and you're not, um, but you don't seem too worried necessarily about not qualifying. Um how does that work then with the form book going into this? I read something recently that said the Frenchman, Vincent Luis, is the, he's the kind of the man to be at the moment in the triathlon. Um, do people like your brother and like Vincent look at the fact that you've been, your focus has been elsewhere recently and think, right, well, he might've won the last two. This is our, this is our opportunity going into this. Or are you still com- you know, confident that you will be in a strong position to defend your, your two goals? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think um, I'm very much kind of an underdog and an outsider in this Olympic Games. You know, the last one in Rio five years ago and um, five years is, is a really long time in sport. Um, you know, I'm coming in, having hardly qualified, not really done a lot of short distance racing over the last um, few years. So, uh, and I think, yeah, I think that is the word kind of a underdog, slight outsider. Um, and there's people who are much more favoured and rightly so to to win than me um and yeah that is what it is so yeah I, whether whether they that makes the individual athletes see me as any less of a threat i don't really know that that's a question for them but yeah i think um, it, it it's the set it doesn't really matter to me it's about going out there trying to prepare as well as i can and, and trying to get myself to the position where i can be um, in in with a shot of winning does Johnny ever say that to you? You know, you're training with him at the moment. Does he ever? Does he ever say out loud that he thinks he's he, that he thinks he's got a better chance at you this time, or does that type of chat you, in in training with, with like the brother the brotherly competition? You just if that anything like that gets said, you don't really pay attention. Yeah, no, we don't, don't really pay attention. There's a as you can imagine that uh, we we get on pretty well, but there is the uh, occasional um, moment of frustration, and uh, yeah, you, you've just got to look at look away you know and, and get on with it otherwise the piece wouldn't last very long i think <laughs> so you, you say you say you're the underdog or at least that's how you're looking at yourself going into this and obviously like you say five years is a long time does that change your focus or your attitude in terms of what constitutes success going into these olympics or is it still gold or nothing for you uh yeah it, it's really tough to know because um success uh is a changeable you know I quite often like to tell that anecdote of being in Beijing you know I was really young 20 years old um didn't think I'd qualify so I'm sat here in whatever February 2008 thought I had no chance of qualifying really I managed to scrape into the qualification race in the sixth sixth position of six um then in the qualification race race well so managed to get the third spot of three on the British Olympic team Anyway, by the time it came around that the race itself was on, you know, my expectations had completely changed from maybe I can qualify and maybe I can qualify and, you know, come top 20 to stood on the start line and thinking I can win this. <laughs> um, and I had no chance of winning it. Not a cat, but you know, that your, your expectations change. Um, 
So sat here at the moment, yeah, my focus is very much on qualifying and doing everything I can to qualify and get to the start line in the best possible position. Um, and then I think the rest take, takes care of itself. And, and I probably can't really say what success is until, you know, I know what kind of lead up I've had, uh, what training I've been able to do and, and those things. And I, I know that sounds a bit subjective, but it is, um, it gets harder as you get older. Uh, and, but yeah, I mean, in my head, yeah, I'm, I'm training to do everything I can to be in the best possible shape that I can be in. And um, that means training to win effectively. How much does the uncertainty around whether the games will go ahead or not affect that, that getting into the best possible condition? Or does that not even come into focus at the moment? You're just, you're, you, you will never, even though you went through this process this time last year of training as if the games were going on, you're, just gonna, you're happy enough to do exactly the same thing again and you're not letting that uncertainty come into it. Yeah, for me, as an athlete, um, I'm not letting that uncertainty come into it at all. It's complete, 100% focus on uh, on on performance. Yeah, um, for for me, is you know to to think about the interesting uh, kind of geopolitical aspects of where the Olympics has been on. That's a kind of a different conversation. But yeah, as a, as an athlete, I'm going out every day with complete focus that it's going to be on and, and training as hard as I can for that. Are you somebody who would be a little bit worried about traveling uh, given the situation globally at the moment? Or do you have complete faith and confidence in the organizing bodies that if they say that you can get over there and compete safely, then you're happy to do that? I think a combination of two things. Um, yeah, I have a lot of faith with the organizing bodies. Um, the IOC, the Olympic Committee, have um, done a lot recently. They're called releasing their playbooks, which basically means they're they're setting out the, how it's going to work in terms of putting on a safe Olympics um, for, for the athletes, spectators and everyone else around it. Um, and yeah, I, ha I have a, an awful lot of faith in that and, and the organizing committee in Japan to um, get everything right. I think the other thing is, um, you know, being pragmatic about it. And I ended up doing quite a lot of traveling to, to race at the back end of last year. Um, and yeah, just taking, really good safety precautions where I could looking after myself um, at the end of the day, if, if I'm looking at me personally, I, I, I think, um, you know, as a young, healthy individual, I, I'm fair, fairly low risk from um, falling ill from the virus. So I'm not worried about me at all completely. And I realized that, um, yeah, I've got a, a duty to protect, I guess, elderly vulnerable people around me who are at risk from the virus, you know, when I come back from traveling. So, yeah, I, I, you know, made the effort to do stuff like, I guess, you know, stay away from my parents and grandparents where appropriate because um, they are the people at risk. So I think it's just having the, um, yeah, that, that kind of pragmatic and sensible outlook on it. There's, granted, it seems to, at least in the people I interact with, people who think they seem to be in the minority, but there are some who ask the question of, the viability of professional sport going on in the current situation um the answer always seems to be that people need as much distraction as possible um and therefore elite sport gives people that and it gives them that outlet week on a week by week basis um i assume that would be your attitude as well um stepping back from your own personal thing obviously it's your livelihood and it's your mm -hmm. job so you want to do it and you want it to go ahead but in terms of the the wider discussion um, do you think that the Olympics in particular here is has an important role to play in giving something giving people something to look forward to? Yeah, I think you're right. It's really hard for me to be objective about it um, because it is literally my livelihood. And more than that, it's who I am. You know, I've 
for, I don't know, on average, every two, three, four weeks since I was about 10 years old, I've had an event, a competition to like look forward to, train, train for, and that's my life. It's kind of how I'm, how I'm wired and, and what I do. So to have that taken away personally, it's massive, like enormous. Um, I think your question in terms of society, um, I, I think it's a tough one. I, um, I do think professional sport uh, is important. Um, and I think it's, you know, I, I think the economics around it are, are, are enormous, you know, once we look at like premiership football, for example, um, and I think, and, and all the connections of that, that uh, keep, keep a whole kind of ecosystem going. Um, and, and the Olympics is very similar. Um, I, I think particularly the Olympics, I think, could play a really important role this year, if the timing's right. And we, we don't know Frankly, we don't know whether time is going to be right because the one thing I think probably most people we can agree on COVID is it seems pretty unpredictable. You know, we only need one new strain or something uh, and to, to baffle everyone. Um, but yeah, I think at some point we do need a signal of uh, returning to normality as much uh, as possible and where possible. And um, I think the Olympics can play a massive part in that role. And, you know, we need to be able to draw some kind of line in the sand and say, right, things are back to normal. Uh, give give um, give people something to look forward to, but also, yeah, show people that actually a return to normality is possible and safe uh, and, and, and what we need to do. And I'm kind of hoping the Olympics can play a, a, a massive part in that role. I'm really interested there that you said not only is your livelihood, but it's it's a massive part of who you are. Um, and I'm curious as to, well, it wasn't quite this time last year. It was a bit later when the Olympics got cancelled. And obviously that big part of your life just disappeared overnight. I mean, it might have been predictable and you, you might have seen it coming. I think some people definitely did. I mean, it definitely had a devastating effect on quite a lot of athletes. Um, on an earlier episode of this podcast, I spoke to Tom Ransley, who won a rowing gold in Rio. And he just decided to call it a day. He said, I'm not, I'm not going through this again for another year um and i think he was a similar enough age to you he might have been a year or two older um so obviously this had had such a devastating uh mental effect on a whole lot of athletes who they're the reason for getting up out of bed every morning was all of a sudden mm -hmm. gone um i'm curious as to how you dealt with that and, and how much of an impact that had on you yeah um it was tough so uh, at the time um i was training in new mexico um, in the states for altitude training and um johnny basically our decision was until you know it's signed and sealed that this thing is delayed we've got a hundred percent trainers if it's on so what's the best thing we want to you know we'd plan to be altitude training hard at altitude so we were kind of in the middle of nowhere in new mexico following on the news as everything uh everything was kind of falling apart and um then it got it got called off and we're like right we have to get home obviously uh and you know this is the time as well uh when you're starting to worry that planes are not flying anymore and anyway we managed to find a, a ticket to get home got home and yeah i remember being at home kind of waking up the next morning and thinking yeah what kind of what have i got to train for what i've got to aim for um and yeah i kind of had a week off um kind of chilling out and then i just got back into a routine of, of training because um yeah, I think, you know, it's true to say having a goal and competition is really kind of most of why I do it. But also, actually, I do enjoy the process of training um, and being fit and trying to get my body to the best shape possible and being active and healthy and all, all those things. And um, 
also and and it's really qu quite unhealthy for me not to have that kind of um that around me like a fairly strict routine because you know i pr pretty much had that since i was 10 years old so uh, i fortunately have something called an endless pool in my garage that's uh, basically like a treadmill for swimming and the water moves at you as you stay still and yeah i, I was like you know normally i swim in the morning so right i'm going to be in this pool at eight o'clock every morning have a session on the board to do you know clock ready to go and then do biking and running and whatever afterwards and, and have a really um thick solid routine and and actually kind of enjoyed um the the most of lockdown in in that way uh yeah for most of those last 10 years um yeah I, I was kind of worked out i don't think i spent 30 days a month in in the same bed in all that time and so yeah spending three or four months solid at, at home was nice and, and actually enjoyed being a bit more relaxed and stuff um and then started to get kind of quite itchy at the back end of that and by the time uh september came around i was racing again and that was great yeah, so it sounds like you managed to deal with lockdown quite well, um, which I suppose in general uh, a lot of professional athletes did with their with their training with their training regimens. And obviously, you had that pool, which sounds which sounds pretty cool to have that in your garage. Um, really good, yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you talked about there. You went back to racing, and I will, and again, we touched on this earlier. I wanted to go a little bit more detail, um, just to finish off, talk to you a bit, a bit about your Ironman because that's obviously something that's dominated your focus a lot recently. And just for a bit of context, I'm right in saying you want to break the record. You want to do a sub seven hour Ironman. And the current record is seven hour, 35 minutes. Correct me if I'm wrong. But again, just for context, an Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile cycle, and a 26.2 mile run. So just only the, only a marathon to finish it all off. Mm -hmm. um, it's obviously quite a bit different from what you're used to in terms of the the distances talk to me a little bit about behind the motivation first of all the motivation to want to break this seven hour mark and secondly how are you going to do it because i understand you're going to do something similar to what kim shogi did with the marathon and you're going to have some some external aids that might not necessarily be allowed in normal competition yeah so it's definitely not a record attempt as it were um it, it might be articulation but it's not a record because it's not held under standard rules similar to the kipchoge attempt um yeah and um i mean breaking seven hours is definitely possible it's about um choosing which variables you you want to change and, and why to make it fast so yeah i've actually been doing quite a lot of work on it this week um maximize you know we can kind of um work out really what you can maximize on the swim and the run fairly easily um you can get a few swim over 3.8 K normally takes about 45 minutes. If it's fast, you know, you might, you can get a few minutes there with efficient drafting, for example, really good pacing, faster wetsuit, uh, thicker neoprenes, more buoyant. It's going to speed you up a uh, nice flat water course, not too many corners, etc. Um, the run marathon run in an Ironman, you know, a 240 uh, Ironman marathon run at the end of that is fast. Again, you might be able to get that down to low 230s with good pacing, good nutrition, um, great course, uh, fast trainers, et cetera, um, which leaves most of the time to gain on, on the bike. Um, and obviously you can model that quite quite uh, reasonably because we, you know what your um, area is and your you drag is as a person on the bike um, and you start playing around with what effect does perfect weather conditions um, low air pressure, decent humidity, decent temperature, maybe low, uh, maybe altitude, um, et cetera, et cetera. Good course, no corners, the right wind, 
um, and having people to draft off and start playing around with those variables. So um, it's an interesting project. And, and one of the things I, I really want to do kind of I'm passionate about doing around it is telling that story of the, um, I, I guess, the science um, and all the, the information that goes into it from everything to yeah, how you make it, wetsuit fast and why it's faster to why I've chosen a particular location and, and why the weather there is suitable. Um, and um, yeah, I've been, I've been really enjoying looking into that. So this, this seems like a, a project to show, almost to show like the limits of the human body, of the human body as it were. Um, and again, it kind of, it seems like something that goes hand in hand with, with wanting to push yourself to the absolute limit and in terms of Olympic success. But I don't know, is this, is this just another, the next level up from Olympic gold medals? Because, you know, you've, you've, you've reached the pinnacle there and is this just a case of trying to find something a little bit extra to do? Yeah, I don't know whether it's the level up or down or sideways or however we want to call it. But I, yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, like I said, you know, most of I enjoy that daily routine. I enjoy training hard. I enjoy pushing myself. Uh, but to get that extra, whatever that is, like five or 10 or 20 percent um, that where you're really focusing and, and really trying to achieve, you need goals that interest and motivate you and um yeah, this is one of those. It's something very interesting and very motivational and will get um, hopefully mean I get the most out of myself in terms of an athlete. And have you set a date for when, when this big race is going to take place? Obviously a fair bit after the Olympics, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's going to be early 2021, most probably. Early, uh, as, in, as in early 2022, so next year. Sorry, early 2022. Yeah, I've lost a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Early all, next year, yeah. yeah. We've, we've, we've all lost a year. That's, that's one thing for sure. Um, two quick things just to away from racing that I wanted to ask you about. Um, you mentioned before, potentially about your interests after your career. Um, this, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't, want, I don't want to assume things, but first of all, is this your last Olympics? And then is the, the Ironman the last big thing? Because you mentioned an intre- a passing interest in maybe going into sports administration whenever this is all done. Um, yeah, I mean, all being well, presuming I make it, uh, qualify and it's on this will definitely be my last olympics um so yeah and then uh, really that be focus on long distance racing ironman etc um full time and, and kind of looking forward to that um and then yeah i guess the next part of that is um what does life after running around in a lycra tri suit look like and uh, yeah one of my yeah passions is is definitely um sports administration and politics i I, um you know i've probably hopefully it's come across that i um love sport and have a massive passion for the olympic games and um yeah being still being involved in that in in some shape or form with an ability to pass on my experience um and at the end of the day try and try and make sport better for future generations is something that fascinates me and um i hope i get a chance to play a part of anything in the pipeline yet or is this something you're going to fo- not going to work worry about or focus on until you're done completely yeah well at the moment actually i'm um i'm going to be in election at the olympics this summer in tokyo um to 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 be elected onto the athlete commission which is um which means that you're part of the ioc and you're feeding into the ioc on, on behalf of athletes representing the athletes of the olympics um so yeah hopefully uh, i get voted in um and uh, yeah, if there's anyone who's going to be Olympian in Tokyo this year, please vote for me. <laughs> well, 
well i'm sure if there are anyone uh, if there is anyone who's listening i'm sure uh, i'm sure they'll be more than willing to to think strongly about you and then just to finish up i understand um you've been doing some work with the brownlee foundation why don't you tell us a little bit about your charitable work absolutely um we started the brownlee foundation um just after 2012 we realized we kind of had an obligation in lots of ways to um it trying to be motivational inspirational to, to young people um there's a lot of people out there who uh you probably got asked to go into every single primary school in yorkshire if, if not the wider area um to talk about being athletes so we thought you know how do we reach um as many people as possible without us spending every waking hour going into schools um and, and realize yeah we we could do this um through the foundation so the foundation now puts on um events uh, and regular activities for young people to do um exercise mostly triathlon but swim bike and run based stuff as well and um in um make sure i don't lose a year in we didn't have any events in 2020 unfortunately because it wasn't the year for mass participation children events but in uh 2019 yeah we had over 10,000 children do events with the foundation and um it would have been quite a lot more in 2020 um and it looks like our events are probably going to be pushed into 2022 now so um yeah we're looking forward to getting get go, getting going with that again brilliant stuff okay well alistair i've taken up more than enough of your time um thank you so much for for coming on i know i know you said your game connection was a small one but still it's always good to hear from uh from high profile alumni who are doing so well and um i'm sure if anyone needed a needed an extra reason to support you having watched your success before I'm sure our Cambridge audience now just has that extra little reason to, to support you this summer and beyond and fingers crossed that qualification goes well and you do well and, you know, do, do defend your title this summer and good luck as well with the, with the seven hour Ironman. Mm. I mean, I don't, I don't envy you at all, but yeah, thank you very much for taking the time. I'm sure you're, you're very busy um, to talk to us today. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. for listening to the lion's den make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to follow the bluebird on facebook twitter and instagram to keep up to date with the world of cambridge sport <laughs>